Uh, if it's all right with you, I want to back up a little bit to where we've been in Exodus and kind of paint a big picture because I think what we're going to see today is uh, a big transition in the book. When we started out Exodus, we talked about we would see God rescuing, we would see God redeeming, we would see God revealing himself. And I think that we've, we've done that in this book so far. We saw God hear the cries of his people and, and rescue them through a little baby that he rescued out of the Nile. And, and he showed them that he was going to redeem them because they're his people. They're my people. They're not Pharaoh's people or anything like that. Um, and he began to reveal himself. And what we're going to see is this transition between God and Moses being the main characters to really God beginning to interact with the people of Israel. In the very next chapter, in chapter 19, when you guys come back in January, if you don't come back, you'll have no idea how the story ends, and so you have to come back. Uh, We're going to see that he's going to invite the people into covenant with him. We're, We're seeing the transition today between just God, Moses, and the grumbling people to really God and the people who are, who are still going to be led by Moses because it's appropriate to be led by a leader, but it's not appropriate for the leader to be doing all the work. And so we're going to see that transition begin to happen today in, in our text. And so when I was in, in grad school, I tutored for a living. I love teaching. Um, I have a zoology degree, as most of you know, because I've mentioned it multiple times. And people always ask me, well, what are you going to do with that degree? And I'm like, nothing. I'm not even qualified to work at the zoo. Uh, <laughs> And true story, I applied multiple times for a job at the Dallas Zoo. Didn't even get an interview. And so I was like, okay, well, this degree literally got me nothing but a tutoring job. But I love, I love tutoring. I love tutoring because you can take a 15-year-old who you all know. Anybody have a 15-year-old? Yeah, they don't know anything, but they think they know everything, right? And I'll go, hey, do you understand mitosis? And they'll go, oh, I totally understand mitosis. I'll go, okay, let me explain it to you. And I'll explain it to them. And then I'll go, do you understand it? And they'll go, yeah, I totally get it. And then what does a good tutor do? They test them. Yeah. And you know what they do? They fail. They totally fail every time. And they'll kind of bumble their way through it or whatever, or maybe get some hints from me. And they're like, oh, I didn't really need the hint, but if you were going to hint, what would you say? You know, and help them. And then, and then you know what a good tutor does after they get to the right answer eventually? Test them again. And you know why? Because as uncomfortable it is for a 15-year-old to sit there on their parents' dime while I torture them, I know the real test is coming. Like I know they're going to walk in on that creaky little seat where the arm is attached. And if you're left-handed, you're in prison. But if you're right-handed, you're fine. And, and they're going to get the real test. I know that. And then not only that, I know I can't always be there with them. Someday they're going to graduate and go off to college. Or maybe they use me through college. But eventually I can't like, do their taxes every year. Eventually they're going to have to learn math, right? And we're going to see that in the story today. We're going to see God, because he's loving and kind, test the Israelites again. In the same test that they had last week, he's going to test them again because they didn't get it right. And not only that, he's going to test them because the real test, the Amalekites, they're coming. The real test is coming. And not only that, their tutor, their helper, Moses, can't be with them for everything they're going to come up against. And so we're going to see God in his kindness continue to walk the Israelites through this wilderness, showing them who he is so they can eventually get the answer right. And so let's jump right into the the text right here. The first part is testing. I label it testing. You guys know that the the pillar of cloud has been with them since they left Egypt. And it hasn't left them. Therefore, you can easily argue God is the one that continues to bring them to waterless places. He's the one that last week took took them to the bitter water. And you guys heard as as we learned that that they threw the, the log into the water and became sweet. And so this time when God puts them in a place where there is no water, you would think from their first test, they would go, hey, 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 I've seen this before can you please bring us some water and some twirly straws? Because that's what we prefer. But they don't do that, do they? No, 
No, this time they get just downright angry. Moses labels the place Massa for trying and Meribah for contending. And that word Meribah is a really strong word in the Hebrew. It's more than just quarreling. He's like, it's a, it's a language that they use in, in the court that I'm bringing a case against you. If I could, I would sue you. I'm that angry with you, God. They failed the test last week and God in his kindness brings them to the test again. And not only do they fail it this time, Moses is culpable this time. We see in, in Psalm 106, 32, Numbers 27, 14, and Deuteronomy 32, 51, that Moses gets the blame for this one. If you notice in the last test, what happens is Moses comes before the people when they grumble and he goes, hey, God will provide. You just need to trust. And this time he comes before God and goes, where are you? They're gonna stone me. Even Moses is beginning to lose his faith. It's really interesting. And and why do I point this out? Why are they doing this second test? Is because I think sometimes in God's kindness, he allows us to continue to learn these lessons. How many of y'all are going home for the holidays? How well did y'all do last year with your family? You might get a second chance this year, right? I I don't know about y'all. I don't do it perfectly. I know it shocks y'all. So calm. Yeah, but they don't, they don't do it well. In fact, they totally bomb it. It's interesting at the very end, God's presence has never left them. And do y'all catch what they said to him? Are you even with us? It's like if you were with a marathon jogger and you come along and you're like, are you gonna even run this? I'd be like, oh, you wanna die, right? Or you're cooking a nice meal and somebody comes in the door and they're like, are you gonna even cook? And you're like, not for you. Cat food's in the pantry. Yeah, it's especially insulting. The one thing that he's given them is unending presence is what they deny. And so one of the things I want to ask you is what test has God given you the second time and what are you doing to prepare yourself for this second test? See, the truth is, is God is giving them these tests because the big test is coming. They're worried about water and bread when they're going to face foes like the Amalekites and the Canaanites down the road that want to kill them. Now look, being in a desert, I imagine water is really important. I'm not stupid. I've been dehydrated before. It is not fun. I understand that. I'm not making light of their trial. I'm just saying in in light of this trial, the bigger one is coming. And God's trying to show them, hey, you need to trust me. You need to trust me. And so since you don't trust me yet, I'm going to give you this test again and again and again. And so my question to y'all is what test does God keep bringing to you that, that maybe you think you're getting right, but if you keep facing it over and over again, maybe there's something more God wants to teach you in that. So what is that? That is obnoxious. I'm so sorry, y'all. Yeah, because the truth is, is we like to believe that we can fail all the small tests and then ace the big tests. And I just, I have to tell you, as a tutor, I don't have a ton of students who get F, 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 boom, A on the final. I just, I don't have a ton of students that do that. And when they do, I'm like, oh, somebody cheated. Don't tell me. Yeah. And look, there are moments in life when the big tests come that because of the grace of God and the community around you and the spirit within you, you are able to pass those big tests. But by and large, the reason why God brings you to the test is to show you that he will provide for your needs. So that when the big need comes, you trust him for it. God brought them to the test to provide for the need that they were going to have so that when the big test came, they'd be ready. And so wherever you're at, wherever you're being tested, I just ask of you to trust him, to follow him, to believe that he will provide for the need that he's created for you. The next section, the, oh, sorry. So what does God do at the end of the test? After they fail, he gives them water. He gives them water. I just want to point that out. They fail again. 
What teacher do you know gives you an A after you vomit? And then say, are you even going to teach this lesson? Yeah, it's a good God that they serve and a good God that we serve. So let's move on. So now we get to the section I call tired. And this is where Moses, even Moses begins to get tired. And so, like I said, the real test is coming and now it's here. It's in the form of the Amalekites who are coming. If you think back to Genesis and you remember, which I didn't remember, so I don't expect you to, but the grandson of Esau is Amalek and Amalekites. So the Amalekites would have been related to the Israelites in some way. And they were a people group who were known for their fierce fighting in this time. And, and if you know anything about the ancient Near East, as powerful as you were was as powerful as your ability to fight. And so these were, these were a fierce people group who would ride in. And one of the cool things about them that I learned is that they domesticated camels so they could actually ride in on animals instead of on foot. And there's nothing more terrifying than this thing running at you. Maybe. Yeah. See, you know, when I read that and the, the, the commentator was like, yeah, and they were fierce animals. I was like, uh, I've seen a camel. That's not scary. But I guess if I was on foot, I wouldn't want anything running at me. So yeah, they were a fierce warrior group. And what do we see God do in the story? You know what's interesting about this is so many times when you watch uh, fight scenes in movies and, and cinema and everything, the, the, the camera just stays on the epic battle. I mean, you watch the Supermans or the Batmans, they're like 45 minutes of action and like 20 minutes of dialogue. And most of the time, it's through a voice they can't understand. You're like, dude, you're going to get laryngitis. We all know that you're Bruce Wayne. Stop. If y'all didn't know, I'm sorry. That's who Batman is. And so... Yeah, the fight scene is, is always there. But what we notice in the Old Testament is that the camera lens of the Old Testament goes from the fight scene up to the, to the hill. Because that's where the real battle is being won. We don't know anything about what's going on in the fight scene. All we know is Joshua's down there fighting. That's all we know. What we do know is that when the rod of God, which represents the power of God, is being lifted on high as if to say the power to win this battle comes from God and God alone, they are winning. And when the staff is low, they are losing. And so the real battle comes and all that matters is that they trust in the Lord to win that battle. That's it. And in a moment of incredible humility, because remember I said, we're beginning to transition away from Moses doing all the work. In a moment of incredible humility, Moses allows Aaron and her to help him. I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I'm that person that if I've begun to build a good thing, I wanna finish it, right? If I'm running a marathon and I get to the last mile and somebody's like, hey, I'll run the baton in for you. I'm like, at the finish line? No, where were you at mile 15? Y'all, I don't run marathons. I have no idea. If Patrice is in here, you tell me when your body starts hurting. At whatever mile your body starts hurting, that's where I want, actually I want you to do the 25 miles and I'll just do like the little bit at the end if we're really talking about running here. But yeah, but Moses is humble enough to realize he needs help and his arms get tired. And you know why his arms get tired? One, because he's like 80 some odd years old, but two, because he's human and he was never meant to muscle his way through this. This was never a battle of how strong are you, Moses? Can you keep your hands up? That was never the battle. The battle was, Moses, do you trust God that you will elevate his staff at whatever cost and get the help that you need to elevate his staff? Because this isn't about you, Moses. It isn't about the Israelites. It's not even about Aaron and her. It's about the staff that's in your hand that represents God's victory all along. If you notice in the battle, it actually says that they would have rolled a stone under Moses. So most likely he would have been sitting at an angle like this and his hands would have been up like this so that Moses and, and her could have just hand their hands casually right here, holding his arms up. Nobody's straining. Everybody's just standing there going, God, you get the victory. We're just standing here. You get the victory. And so my question to you guys is, do you have an Aaron and a her in your life? Because I know you've got battles. Like I, I know that there are times when you're looking at your marriage and you're thinking, I could really use the staff of God in this to win this fight. 
Or maybe you have an illness or somebody you deeply love has an illness and you're thinking, gosh, I could really use the staff of God here. I just have to tell y'all, even if you had the staff of God, there's gonna come a point when your arms are gonna get tired and you're gonna wanna look to the right and you're gonna wanna look to the left and you're gonna wanna have your guys and your gals holding up your arms. I know if you, if you attend Watermark or you come to any of our events, you hear us often talk about community, right? What's the joke? We love community so much, it's our middle name, right? And if you were like me early on and you rolled your eyes, like we get it. And we all love community or really we hate community when things are good, right? Because then they ask you those annoying questions like, how's your sin struggle? And you're like, okay, I didn't ask you to ask me that. Uh, I thought we were just gonna do like the movies and things like that, right? <laughs> So like when things are good, community can sometimes be a nuisance. But when things are bad, oh, to be able to look to the right and to the left and see your Aaron and her looking at you going, hey, we're here with you. And we believe just as much as you that the power of God can help you in this battle. And our eyes are not gonna be fixed on the battlefield. We're not gonna keep our eyes down there. We're gonna keep it up at the hill and we're gonna trust God through this battle. So y'all, if you don't have that, come to group link. Or if you don't have that, just show up at somebody's house on the night they have community and don't leave. Just like awkwardly sit there and they'll be like, they'll do like the polite thing. Like, well, we're going to get started. And you're like, okay, (laughs) don't do that. That's weird. I mean, do it, but don't tell them I said you did it. So yeah, the truth is, is that Proverbs 21, 31 tells us that the victory or the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests in the Lord. And if you believe that, then you will recognize that in your battle, God never intended for Moses to go up that hill alone. And he doesn't intend for you to either. Guys, when I was in seminary, we, we would oftentimes get chapel speakers that come in and, and most of the time it would tell us, they would tell us that, hey, this is the best time of your life. That you're gonna eventually get out of here and you're gonna go into ministry. And when you get into ministry, you're gonna be Moses and everybody's gonna grumble and complain all the time. So enjoy this stinky library right now because it's the best years of your life. I was like, oh my gosh, it's a feel good message. And the truth is, is they're right. They're, they're right in a lot of ways. You know, well over 70% of pastors today are depressed. Well over 70% are addicted to some sort of major addiction. Over 80% say they don't have a single close friend in the world. That, that's, that's, no wonder they feel like Moses and the grumbling people. And I just wanted to take a moment to tell y'all, I love, in whatever small way I get to be your Moses, I cherish it. I have never once looked to the right and to the left and wondered where y'all are through your emails, through your phone calls, through your gifts, through your hugs, through your smiles. I know my job is to get up here and tell y'all to do a better job. And I just want to tell y'all this, this, y'all are killing it. So thank you for whatever small way that you have been my Aaron and my her and same for Gigi and everybody else that leads y'all. We love you. We love you. And it is a joy to lead you all. And so in this small way, you're doing great. I'm not saying anything else. I'm just saying in this way, but thank you. Thank you that I know that I don't have to go up the hill and wonder if anybody's following me. I so appreciate that. And so I'm just ending this session just asking you, who, who are your Aaron and your her? Who are those gals that when you look to the right and to the left are going to look at you and go, hey, don't look at the battlefield. Just lift up the staff and I got your arm. I'll hold it there with you. If you don't have it, I'm begging you to get it. And finally, the last section is, is tethered. I told you we're continuing this transition between Moses and, and the people and really God and the people. And what we're gonna see here is, is that we're gonna see this massive expansion of God's kingdom towards the people in this section. 
Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, hears word that they've now left Egypt. And so he comes from Midian, which is an incredible moment. Because early on, if y'all didn't catch that question, I know it was confusing. We asked, you know, in Exodus 9, and it says that my renown will be known throughout all the earth. And then in Exodus 18, we said, how are they related? It's it's because Jethro is outside of Egypt and he hears. And so he comes and he says, I've heard all that Yahweh has done. And they they worship and they celebrate. And And then Jethro begins to watch Moses do all the work. And Jethro says something profound. He says, it is not good for you to do all the work. It is not good for you to do all the work. The reason why this is, is because when Moses does all the work, not only is he deciding judicial cases, but he's also explaining to them the will of God. And if Moses is the only guy in the group who knows the will of God, that nation will fail when Moses dies, period. And not only that, if this nation is going to be God's nation, they need to know God. And the way that you know God, one of the ways is to get involved in his kingdom work. He's inviting you into it. He invited the people into it. Moses in his humility says, you're right. We need to give this away. People need to begin to discern the will of God for themselves. I love this Bible study because in some small way, it's a microcosm of what's going on here. The truth is I am not your Moses. Ann Holford, who's sitting right there, the most humble woman probably in this room is your, is your Moses. For years before Gigi and I ever got here, she was running this ministry and Lord willing, years after we leave here, she will be running this ministry. She's an incredible woman. And if there was a woman in this room who could run this entire ministry, it would probably be Ann. But Ann will tell you it would not be good for her to do that. It wouldn't be good because there are more gifted women in this room. Did you know that your leaders have leaders over them? Before you ever get here, your leaders sit in a room and they are encouraged by Judy Wimberly, who y'all know has never sinned. I've talked about her plenty. And then Lynn Hardage, who never stops. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. And, and Anne, did y'all know that they lead them? They come prepared to love on your leaders. Not only that, I know you guys walk through and see those greeting faces every time and the food laid out. Karen Hammett is a woman who works a full-time job saving people's lives down at Baylor and then comes up here and leads a team of volunteers so you may be cared for and loved and, and done. Not only that, you, the, the curriculum in your hand, y'all know that's written months, months before we ever start this thing by people you don't even know who spend their summers, sometimes by a pool, but that's neither here nor there, dedicated and slaving over this career. I just spit. I did that yesterday too. This lesson, y'all, it's got me worked up. Yeah, the truth is, is it would not be good for Ann to do all the work. Many of y'all come early and you serve us. Leslie Dyer is just one of the names, but every week in here, early, smiling, opening doors, asking, how can I help? So why do I say all of this? I say all this because like your leaders who you've probably seen, you've been more blessed by your leaders than you have by me. I know you have. I know you have. Because they're here loving you, knowing you, caring for you. And it is not good for them not to be here. It would be a big, massive waste of time if all we did is you came in here, you heard us teach for 45 minutes, and we sent you right back out the door. Because they too can discern the will of God. They too can love you well. And the more involved you get in God's kingdom work, the more you begin to understand God. He gives you those opportunities that when you don't know something, he provides the knowledge that you need. Or when you don't feel like you have the strength to do something, he gives you that abundant strength. Or when you pour out and you give out and you, and you love so much that he fills your cup back up. And as you have this exchange of you receiving from him and then you giving out and then you receiving from him and then you giving out, you do this incredible cosmic dance with the Trinity that you're invited into where he begins to be real and you know him. And you begin to love him and you see him and you pass him on to others. And so my point in all of this is just where are you being used by God? If your whole life, all you've done is follow Moses's, Moses would look at you today and say, he's not good. Get in the game. 
I want you too to serve. I want you too to be able to discern the will of God. I want you also to know his will, to know what is good and pleasing and perfect will that he has. We have opportunities in this study, but I'm, I'm not naive. I know there are other ministries in this church. I'm kind of aware of that. If you want to serve somewhere else, I guess that's fine. I'm just kidding. The truth is, yeah, our church is huge. And some of y'all don't go to this church. And so I hope your church has opportunities for you to serve. But the truth is, even if you're not in an official capacity, I know that there are people in your life that could use an Aaron and a her. I know that there are people in your life that could use some of this, some of this knowledge that you've gained this year or could use some of that hospitality you have or that empathy or that care or that love or all these gifts. So you look at the gifts in this room and what's represented here. Oh my word, we have an army here. And God wants you in the game so that you can bless others and they in turn can bless others and that his kingdom can begin to look like what he intended on this earth. And I think many of y'all in this room are killing it. And so for the few of y'all that are probably on the sidelines and you're not quite sure, I just want to tell you when, when you're not using your gifts for the kingdom of God, you are missing out. You are missing out. And so if you're interested in how you can serve or anything like that, let us know. And we'd be happy to, to let you know about opportunities to serve in this church. So normally at the end of the talk, what I do is try to wrap a nice little neat bow on it um, and tell you what the big so what is for the unit. But I got really distracted when I was looking at the camel pictures and then it like led to some like YouTube and cats. And have y'all seen the new cucumber and the cat thing? Yeah, everybody keeps saying to me like, do this to Clive. And I'm like, I love my cat. I don't, I don't like torturing my cat with a cucumber. And so if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should Google it. It's actually hysterical. And so... Uh, so as I was actually thinking about how to wrap this up, I'm kidding, I'm getting way off topic here. As I was thinking about how to wrap this up, I thought, well, it might be appropriate since we're ending this semester tonight to really wrap up the whole, the whole semester. And so if it's all right with you, you don't really have a choice because I have the mic, we're going to do that. And so I thought about what's the, what's the big message of Exodus so far? And, and I think so many times God of the Old Testament gets a little bit of a bad rap. That people think he's angry and wrathful and he's just out to get you when in fact that couldn't be farther from the truth. But we think that. We think he's the bad guy and Jesus is the good guy and thankfully Jesus comes in and protects us from this bad God and that's just not right. Our hope when we talk about these Old Testament books is that you begin to see the kindness and the love of a God who forgives over and over and over again. My hope is that as you see that he cannot, he cannot fail in his promises, it means he cannot stop loving you because he promises his love for you and it's unending. We see this throughout Exodus. We see it in the very first beginning of the chapters when he says, I heard the cries of my people and I remembered them because I loved them. They never stopped being my people even though they were enslaved for 400 years. And we see his love for one little boy who's in the Nile and he draws him out and he raises him up and he gives him skills and gifts and all of that. And he meets him in the desert in his inadequacy and he just keeps telling Moses, I want to use you because I love you and I love my people. And because his people have been worshiping false gods and false idols, he loves them enough to dismantle them through the plagues. It's his love that shows them those are idols. It's his love that shows them they're not worthy of being worshiped. And then it's his love that walks them out of Egypt across the Red Sea on dry land and allows them to look back and say, see that foe? You will never, ever see him again. You need to do nothing but trust me. And who gets to watch their foe get vanquished? What a gift. Because I love you, you don't have to fear them. Because I love you, I set you free. Because I love you, you're my people. And then he takes them on this wilderness journey to places where he can meet their needs. So he creates a need and he says, I will provide it. And they grumble and they complain and he still provides. 
Because he loves them. Because his love doesn't wane with their attitude. It doesn't wane with their obedience. It's there. It's there. It's there. It never stops. And so as I was on YouTube, I saw this video. And I want us to watch it tonight. It's a little long, but I think it's worth it. And as you watch it, it's this dad and this little kid. And as you watch it, I want you to think about the dad as your heavenly father. And I want you to think of yourself as this little kid. Can we replay with the audio, Steph? This is Megan. Megan, it's Hannah. I'm so hungry. Are there nope. still donuts in the freezer? That's not the audio. Forget the donut. That's actually my speakerphone. So I'm gonna call you. I'll have to call you back. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, you can wrap track after Daddy goes. I love you. Give me a hug. Hey, come here. Give me a hug. Throw him arms around Daddy's neck. Yeah, go up there and stand with Mama. Daddy's going. Bye, Mama. I love you. Bye. Colton, come back over here, baby. Come here. You can stand here and wave. Bo Daddy Kiss, stay right here, Colton. Colton, wait. cute. Uh, when I saw that video, everybody was praising the little kid on, on social media. They were saying, this kid is really cute. He really loves his dad. And you know why that kid loves his dad? 
because dad loves him. Oh, runs out in the, in the, and he gets out of his car and he continues to hug and kiss him and comes around and honks his horn. You know why you love God? Because he first loved you. And what's so amazing about that video is that kid's going to grow up to be a teenager. He's not going to do that anymore. Maybe. It'd be weird if he was still in a diaper. <laughs> it's a totally different video. But there's a day coming when that kid's not going to always say, I love you back. And if, that's, if that dad is like our Lord, he says, I love you no matter what. I love you. I don't trust you. I know, but I love you. I'm scared. I know, but I love you. I can't see you. I know, but I'm right here. I love you. I love you. I love you. So, so many of us are going to go into this holiday season, and holidays are hard. I know that. And you maybe are going to have a fight with your in-laws or run away from your new in-laws or... Or maybe you don't have any family and all is really hard and you feel far from the Lord. I just want y'all to know when you go into this break and before you come back in January, that his love for you does not change based on what you do. His love for you is grounded 100% in the blood of his son that rained down on your behalf. And if you are his daughter, then he is your dad no matter what. And even when you get to the age when you rebel or you run or you you do things that you know that your dad does not want you to do, he's still going to look you in the eye and say, I love you. I love you. Let me pray for y'all. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that your love does not rise and fall with us. Because who could ever keep your love? But your love and your pleasure is not grounded in what we do and who we are, but it is grounded in your son. And it was offered to us fully on that day in Calvary, and when we said we are in. So God, thank you for making us your people. Thank you that in being your people, the recipients of your love, we know will go without end because you are God who keeps his promises. So God, sustain these women over the holidays. Allow them to have a time where they can reflect upon you and your love for them, your provision, your grace, your mercy. Lord, allow our hearts and our minds and our hands to be stirred to greater worship for you tonight in our small groups. It's in your son's perfect and holy name I ask these things. Amen. You all can either stay in here or you can head to your small group room. I'll let your leaders decide what's best. It gets pretty loud in here, though, just so you know.